This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Final few seconds will come off the clock at Honda Center in Anaheim. Flames stretch their winning streak at Honda Center to six games and pick up two very important points. They bounce back from a tough outing at Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles last night where they lost 8-2 to the Kings. And tonight, they'll get a split of their two-game road trip to Southern California with a decisive and impressive 5-1 victory over the Ducks. And with the two points they pick up tonight, the Flames are once again four points out of the final playoff spot of the Western Conference. Keep the faith. Flames hanging in there in the fight for a Stanley Cup playoff spot. Well, if you're going to have an outing like you did Monday night in L.A., you better be prepared to back it up with a better effort in Anaheim. That's exactly what the Calgary Flames did against the Ducks. 5-1 your final score. And there'll be many Flames fans who, like myself, hear Derek say six straight wins at Honda Center and remember that as a former house of horrors for the Calgary Flames. Not so much anymore. They pick up two points last night in a big victory over Anaheim. And it was must-win territory when the out-of-town scoreboard worked itself like it did last night. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. This is Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Joined by my outstanding production team of Cam and Taylor this afternoon. We've got lots to get to on the program today. We'll, of course, chat with Peter Labardius in just moments. Break down what we saw last night from the Calgary Flames and what they need to bring into the first of a three-game homestand that starts tomorrow against the Vegas Golden Knights. Also, chat some baseball in hour one here. We are just over a week away from opening day for the Toronto Blue Jays. Excitement level ramping up for the regular season after an outstanding, and I mean outstanding, finale to the World Baseball Classic. Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout. You couldn't get it any better than that. We'll chat with Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic coming up a little bit later on. And uh, we'll take a look at the round the NHL as well today before we get out of here uh, in the next two hours. But let's kick things off like we always do. Let's head down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Say hello to the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He is Peter Labardius, and he's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They're now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit them at the Gemini Group. Dot .ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? I am awesome. I just uh, dropped my uh, car off for a little oil change at my favorite car dealer, Wolf Cadillac on Bow Trail. Now in a car with uh, the former voice of the Calgary Hitman, Mark Stiles. Wow, what a great afternoon for you, eh? Yeah. Catching up on some memories there. Yeah, catching up on some memories. Absolutely. Good to hear, pal. Um, with Ken Thrower and they score. Uh, he's, a, he's a he's a beautiful guy. Good to hear. Sure. Uh, good right. to hear, pal. Um, 
Thoughts last night, uh, a big bounce back effort from the Calgary Flames. And uh, I, I said it coming in there after what happened on Monday, uh, the group needed to show something, and they certainly did last night against Anaheim. Yeah, I'd use one word, Logan, last night, convincing in every way, shape, or form. They got to their business early. They scored early. Um, really, really liked all four lines. I thought all six guys on defense were good. Uh, there was only one little stretch in the second period where and it happens in every game, especially when you're on the road. You know, you're going to get a bit of a push. And, you know, it probably my favorite part of the game last night, because it hasn't always been my favorite, is, you know, you're up 2 nothing. you're in pretty good control, you take a penalty that you really didn't have to take, that Rasmus Anderson took in front of his own net dealing with Max Jones and Frankie Vitrano buries one on a great shot on a power play, but it was really how they responded after that. And that went a long way in them being up three, one shortly thereafter four, one, and then five, one. So very convincing, very necessary and get ready for Vegas. How did you like the guys that came into the lineup last night? It was specifically about the forward group. We'll get to the defense side of things in a moment, but uh, a couple changes from that game against LA, a couple guys back in the lineup. How did you like those guys jumping in? Well, I'd start with Walker and Walker doing, and I thought he was excellent. Um, I thought he and Lewis and Lucic back in the lineup um, did exactly what you would want. And I thought Walker in many ways with Trevor's um, support did it very, very well. And Walker has great speed, gets pucks in behind people. He's simple, good on the floor check. He made some plays last night. So I thought that was excellent. Um, Lynn played exactly after having a couple of nights off. I knew he'd be energized. And, and that was a really good line that gave them good shifts. Now, what I didn't know for sure is how Nick Ritchie was going to respond again coming back in. But, you know, Nick Ritchie gives you a physical presence, uh, never hurts anybody's game when they score 30-plus seconds in. Um, and I really thought that line with Kadri and Dubé did exactly what you would want them to do. And that was, they spent a lot of time in the offensive zone. They were hard to play against. Um, saw a night from Kadri that was maybe one of his better nights in a long time. So, mm -hmm. you know, Nick did a nice job. And I'm not sure, you know, for me going in, um, I necessarily saw that line or him going back in for what it was, but it was a great hunch because it really, really helped. So that's my assessment of the guys who came back in last night up front. And just on Richie, before we move on, I think this is sort of the, the microcosm of, of Nick Richie and what's led him to being now a Calgary flame on a couple of different NHL stints, Lou, is you get the good and the bad with Nick Richie. And I think in his short time in Calgary, we've already seen flashes of that. You've seen the guy that, can have that physical presence, be a big body in front of the net and have some finish. But you can also see the Nick Ritchie that maybe doesn't make the best decisions all the time and creates, you know, penalties for himself where he probably shouldn't be. It's kind of been the story of his career so far. Well, and it goes back a long ways. You know, remember, this was a guy who was taken 10th overall in the National League draft in his draft year. and Yeah, by the team we saw last night. Yeah, uh, yes, and for many years, people have wanted to unlock all that potential, and you see spurts of it here and there, 
you know, he did early. His still best offensive year in the league was his first full season in the NHL by the team that drafted him, and that was Anaheim. So, you know, you're always really infatuated with players like Nick Ritchie because if you have a power forward who can contribute and play hard and be a deterrent and create room, that's what you're looking for. What Nick Ritchie hasn't found in his career is consistency. And I think personally, I just, I think going into the summer to stay in the league probably needs to work on, and I should be the last guy to say it, but probably needs to get himself into the best physical condition of his life and probably add a little bit of a step, endurance, all of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't even like to go down that road, but for lots of different personal reasons as much as anything. But he he has lots going for him. He always has. Yep. Now how do you maximize it? So really good player last night. Um, that line was hard to deal with, and that's why Daryl put them together. And on that night, he got what he was looking for. On the back end, we did see a change heading into last night's game against the Anaheim Lou, and perhaps one we weren't expecting to see Chris Tanev, a late scratch due to an upper body injury, which means we saw Dennis Gilbert uh, come onto a pair with Troy Stetcher, the first time we've seen those two together. I guess just your initial reactions last night while you were with Pat on Flames warm-up when you got the news that Chris wouldn't be playing. Well, I'm always incredibly disappointed when, Chris Tanev isn't available. I just, I love everything that he brings to the table, his work, his true commitment. He's as professional as anybody you'll ever be around, and he does it each and every night by example and gives you absolutely everything he has. And I don't think he's been healthy all year. I really don't. Um, And a hit that he may have taken in part from Quentin Byfield in the game against Los Angeles may have again caused some issue in that shoulder area that he's been plagued by. So you're never a better team without Chris Tanev. But last night um, you put Anderson and Hannafin back together. You go lefty righty throughout your lineup, including Stetcher and Gilbert. And I thought, you know, a great difference between the two games and granted you're facing a very different opponent, but when this team moves pucks, gets good puck support coming out of their own end of the rink and gives themselves a chance to feed their beast, which is, you know, they're not, this team's not wowing anybody on the rush, but where they are miserable is if they can move it out of their zone quickly with support, make good decisions when you get to the middle of the ice and get it behind people and get to work. And that group of six was far more effective, whether it was moving pucks, um, I like the job that Gilbert did on a f- number of occasions, jumping up in the middle of the ice to gaps to keep pucks in at the line. It was an effective game by the entire team. And when they play that way and they are a connected group and people do it right, you get good results. And that's how I look at the whole contest. It wasn't, Challenged much last night, Lou, but uh, a solid performance for Dan Vladar uh, and getting a start for the first time in about three weeks. Yeah, it was fine. And and you know what my stance was going in. And that didn't was, matter I really who didn't it was. play goal last night. And I didn't. 
Um, because I thought if that was going to have to be a big factor in the game against Anaheim last night, coming out of an 8-2 game the night before, you got big, big problems. Way bigger than who you're starting in goal. So he was he was solid, and that's all that's all you could ask for. And he didn't have a lot of very difficult work to do because of the job that was done in front of him. And you know, there's not very many nights for the goalies of the Calgary Flames this year, i.e., 41 one goal games where goalies aren't in that four by six, thinking, "Oh my goodness, if the next one gets by me, we got a problem." Well, they were set up for success. And Daniel Vladar played his part perfectly. And uh, I would guess, uh, feel free to tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you'd feel the same way that I would, that uh, I would go to Jacob uh, tomorrow against Vegas. Would you feel yeah, the same way? Right back. Yeah. That's your guy. Yep. That's your guy. You got 10 games to go. I'm going right back there. Not even a doubt. And I was, as you know, on record, because you're the first to hear it, I said, regardless of what happened in the game in L.A., I'm going with Vladar then, too. Mm-hmm. So so I'm going right back there again against Vegas. The color voice of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet 960. The fan is Peter Labardius. He joins us every single day to kick off the program here for our good friends of the Gemini Group. Home renovations, and now, Lou, the uh, story continues to be what has been the story all year long, and it's how do you turn this into a run if you're the Calgary Flames and you get to see a team that you saw very recently now back at home against the Vegas Golden Knights tomorrow. And we'll be back on this you know, topic tomorrow as we get set for the game. And it's just going to be sort of the story until we get to the end of the year. If they can't string together three or four of these wins in a row, then it's going to be same old, same old for what we've talked about most of the season. Yeah, and for sure, Logan, that's absolutely true. Do they need to get on a run? Absolutely. Can your focus be on getting on a run? No, it can't. It's really as simple as, again, every night, good and bad, as long as you hunt, you got to wipe the night before clean and be a good team tomorrow night. There really isn't, you know, we can dig in and drive it any way we want. But um, this team has really, really struggled, I think, with, in many ways, the outside stuff of what they have to do or what the math looks like or all of it, this isn't about math. You get to better math by being a good team, and and you're right. The moral of the flame story is you and I don't know what we're going to get tomorrow. And what I do know is this team's track record this year on home ice has not been good enough. And lately, it's been kind of in the dumper a little bit. So you got to come out. you got to play with the same passion and urgency. I think they'll have it to begin with. But if it doesn't go well, that's, that's to me the other part that we probably even on this hit haven't talked about. Regardless, good, bad, start, or indifferent, you got to get back to it as soon as you can and stay with it for as long as you can. You talk to anybody about why the Boston Bruins have been so successful this year, it's because they do that. Mm-hmm. They don't get away from it. And even when it's not going their way, they get back to it as long as they're given a chance. And there's no better example of that than the game February 28th in Calgary, where, to be honest, the Flames kicked their tail all over the lot. And then they opened the door, and the Bruins slammed it right in their face. 
Yeah, it's funny when you were saying that you mentioned Boston. I immediately went to that same game, Lou, and I thought, you know, you were right. The Bruins didn't have their best. They were at the end of a road trip. They were, you know, uh, a little bit behind everything, but they just kept plugging along. They just they were as even keel as a team in that sort of situation as I can remember seeing across the saddle dome, and that's uh, an asset that every team across the NHL would love to have. Yeah, that's when you know you've got it. Yeah. And then that will all change because once the regular season comes to an end, it doesn't matter anymore. No. Now you got to get ready for game one and go from there. But that's a team that believes in who they are, what they are, the people that do it, the people that deliver the plan. And they're having not a good season. They're having a marvelous season. So the next challenge for the Boston Bruins is to probably not be the 2023 version of the Columbus or the Tampa Bay Lightning when they won 62 in the regular season and were swept in round one by Columbus. Yeah, and we've had that, you and me have had that conversation. We've talked about Boston a few times and even what that President's Trophy can mean for teams and the lack of of pushback during the regular season hurting teams going into the postseason. That's a pretty experienced Boston team, but it'll be one of the storylines I'm looking for on uh, their side of things once the playoffs get going, Lou. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the the opponents on this homestand, Lou, over the next three games, because uh, I do find it very fascinating, not to dismiss San Jose coming in uh, Saturday afternoon, which is an interesting uh, one for us here, usually those 8 o'clock games on a Saturday, but you got Vegas coming in tomorrow. Uh, a week apart from your one of your better performances in Vegas ever that gave you a 7-2 win. And mm. then you've got the LA Kings coming in next week, almost a week away from one of your worst performances of the year against the Kings. All Pacific Division rivals on this homestand and two teams that you've seen very recently. Uh, what goes into those games when you've seen an opponent so recently but you've come out so differently on each side, if you know what I'm talking about. Against Vegas, you did everything right. You came out with a big victory, and you get to see them again. You know they'll be motivated tomorrow. That game against L.A., you've got to put the shoe on the other foot. If you're Calgary, and you've got to be motivated to rebound against what you know happened against L.A. on Monday. Yeah, you know what, Logan? Honestly, um, I, I don't really think, you know, you're, you're always wary, right, of who your opponent is. Always. But again, you can't you can't really get caught up in eight two or seven two in the good side. So that's 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 the interesting part for me about this conversation is it, it it's it's no more. I know it's cliche ish, but it really isn't any more than um, you have to understand your opponent. But in every game that you win, by and large, it's because you dictate how you want to play and execute against whoever you play. And that becomes even more important, you know, in a situation where you don't have any room for error. So, you know, the focus again is, yes, those, those are storylines in terms of, yeah, will Vegas have a little extra bite? Sure. Um, should the Flames have a little extra bite when L.A. comes in? But it's about winning. There's just, there's nothing else for the Calgary Flames that, you know, so to me, San Jose isn't any different either. Be a good team, 
be the best you can be. If that's not good enough, you can live with that. Chances are you, you're probably going to have to be better. You know you're going to have to be way better against L.A. You know Vegas is going to be way better against you. But what are you going to do? And that's been the challenge for the Flames all year. We don't, you know, the, the interesting conversation, Logan, and I'll throw it back at you, is which I always do because I always want your opinion, is isn't the whole season about, haven't we talked about playing up or playing down? Yep. Do we really know how to evaluate Calgary? And if we and if we don't, why? Yeah, it's probably because they've been so inconsistent. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly why. Right. Yeah. Wow. So I, 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 I get not frustrated. That's the wrong word. Um, and and the other teams. You know, they matter. I mean, you go into every game setting your lineup. We talk about matchups on this show all the time. They're really important. But there is nothing more important for the Calgary Flames in their last 10 games than to be the Calgary Flames in a good version in the last 10 games. Because if they are, they might win seven or eight of those. And we might be watching hockey in that rink past April the 12th. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I see it anyway. No, I, I feel you 100%, pal. Um, Lou, appreciate the time as always, sir. We will be back with you uh, tomorrow on another game day back at the Saddle Dome against the uh, Golden Knights. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, Ray. You as well. Thanks so much. Take care. Pete Labardius, the color voice of the Calgary Flames, here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, he joins us every single day to kick off the program. He's brought to you by our good friends at the Gemini Group. The Gemini Group Home Renovations know that your home renovations, they should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They're now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. I'll switch over to some baseball chat next, just over a week away from opening day for the Toronto Blue Jays and a fantastic ending to the World Baseball Classic last night. We'll dive into all of that with Caitlin McGrath, The Athletic, next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. The World Baseball Classic finished off with an absolute monster of a matchup. Team USA, Team Japan, Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout. Shohei gets the best of his opponent, his teammate, Japan with another victory and the hype level for the start of the MLB's regular season might have uh, hit a tipping point last night. Now the World Baseball Classic is done. Everyone's back to focusing on their own individual teams and talking about opening day, and that's exactly what we're doing here. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Chat some baseball with us. It is Caitlin McGrath, staff writer for The Athletic. Caitlin, thanks so much for doing this today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, were you, like a lot of us last night, focused in on uh, that battle between uh, Japan and the United States? Yeah, of course. I was tuning in um, for that final. It was 
like you were describing, probably a bit of a dream final for MLB, just having, you know, two of the sport's biggest superstars, obviously teammates as well with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And then it coming down to those two at the very end, like you couldn't really ask for a, a better kind of like storybook ending um, for that tournament, obviously went Japan's way. But yeah, it was an incredible success, I think, for MLB and, and the W. DC as a whole. Yeah, I got to imagine Rob Manfred, like you said, was a very happy with how it all came down to an end. But for me, it got me excited as maybe as excited as I've ever been to get back to to regular season baseball. Now I know we've still got just over a week of spring training to finish up, but now I'm like I'm sitting here today. Last night I was like, wow, I can't wait for baseball to get back and to get back to these meaningful games. And I know it's not going to be Otani versus Trout every night, but the hype level across Major League Baseball is probably. Got to be pretty high coming off of what we saw last night. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's um, it's kind of funny that there's still like, I don't know how many days away are we, eight, eight or <laughs> yeah. nine days away from opening day. And it's like a bit of a lull, I guess, because now you just kind of go back to these like meaningless spring training games. And it's like, okay, we're just ready for the real thing to start a little bit. Uh, maybe the timing could have lined up even better, but obviously like it's a little too close for for T uh, for players to be away from their teams. I think of the WBC winning even closer to the regular season and all that. So, mm. um, but yeah, no, I think everybody's really looking forward to actually meaningful games beginning. Would you look at the WBC as a whole as a, as a massive success for baseball, knowing that they've already got the next one scheduled in now? I think so. I mean, I think that, I didn't really, it's been so long since we had one. Yeah. Um, obviously, like the pandemic kind of impacting uh, the previous one that was supposed to occur. So it almost, you'd almost forgotten about it in the sense of like, you know, how do people react to this? What is, um, you know, what what is the viewership like? All that kind of stuff. I'd kind of forgotten. So I was actually pleasantly surprised as to how engaging it was, how exciting the games were. Um, and you know, how excited everybody watching it and even playing it, like the players looked really into it, obviously. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a big success and I hope, I hope baseball kind of grows upon it. I think there's probably a lot of ways where you can expand the WBC and, um, maybe make it even bigger, uh, get more eyes on it and maybe encourage even more players to go. Yeah, that was the one thing that got talked about a lot was, especially from a starting pitcher's perspective, I know uh, a lot of people following the American team, Caitlin, had said, hey, I don't know if this would be a close race if the Americans had their full complement of pitchers there, but I guess that's also sort of goes with the territory of when exactly this tournament is played and how teams manage their assets for the guys that go to this tournament. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, I've heard people talk about this and ask about this, and there's not really an easy answer in terms of, like, when you can do this tournament. I've heard, you know, after the season thrown about, but it's like, well, on, a like, October, November, like, guys just want to rest. They finish the season. A lot of them are nursing injuries at that point. They just, they really need to rest. You know, an all-star break is another thing, but it's like, well, you know, that's another time where players really do want to soak up some rest, and there is the all-star game. And then you, you know, if you have the WBC that takes away from maybe the all-star game and the all-star game, it's like players go to it, but you're maybe expected to take like one of that. And then you can leave the game. Like it is <laughs> yeah. more so just the sort of a showcase for fans and stuff. It's really, but obviously the WBC, you want those games to mean something and them to matter. So I think that March is really our spring training. March time is, is the best time to do it. 
maybe you can make some tweaks um, here and there with the scheduling of it. But I don't think there's another time um, in the year that makes a lot of sense. I think this is really the best time that they can do it. Uh, And so maybe it's just a matter of trying to make several tweaks here and there to maximize the number of players that would be able to go to it. I know you focus most of your work with the athletic on the blue Jays, but just as an MLB observer uh, as a whole, Caitlin, can you describe if you've ever seen anybody that does quite what Shohei Otani does and the level that he does it at? No, no, of course not. I mean, not in baseball <laughs> and even in other sports, like what, what is even the comparison in another sport? Yeah. It's like, you know, a, 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 can you imagine if an NHL forward could also play goalie and was like, you know, it's so it's completely different position, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, no, I mean, I mean, I know there's been some other athletes that can maybe play multiple sports and like can do, but whether they're elite at those two sports is another matter. Like, you know, there's been huge, like there's been athletic performances that we marvel at. There's been people that are just completely dominant at their sport um, that will go down as amazing athletes, incredible athletes, but in terms of what he can do, it's, it's actually quite incredible. And I think it's one of those things where in the, time that it's happening it's hard to even sort of reflect on how amazing it is i think we'll all look back at this time period and be like what was he even doing you know like it's incredible <laughs> yeah i was kind of struck with that again last night when he made that walk to the bullpen and you just sort of knew it was setting up to be that moment and i, I just i've never thought of anybody else that that could even have that sort of impact that he was such a humble superstar at the end of it and i, I was chatting with a, one of my friends last night and he said I didn't think it was possible for Shohei to up his value to, you know, other major league teams coming up after this season. Then all of a sudden the WBC gives him this latest platform in front of more baseball fans to go out and, and sort of expand upon what we already knew he was. And that's just this unique unicorn that we may not ever see again in baseball. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's the never again thing. It's an interesting um, discussion, I guess, because you know, you do see um, athletic performances sort of inspire more athletic performances. Like a lot of times, like the greatest athletes ever in their sport are only great because they're trying to be someone else. Like I am a huge tennis fan. And so I think about the men's tennis game, even the women's, honestly, like you have people like Roger Federer and, and Serena Williams, and they set the bar. They set the bar really, really high. But then you have people that come along and they're like, they're so inspired to be as good as them that they then in turn become the greatest themselves. You look at like an Adal and a Djokovic, mm. like they have completely changed men's tennis. Um, and on the women's side, there's a lot of really inspiring women's players right now that, you know, are looking to match what Serena Williams did. Um, you know, Iga Swantek, I know she's injured right now, but she's been incredible, right? Like yep. uh, she's been dominating the women's game the way that Serena would, where it's just, she looks unbeatable. Um, and so, you know, I just wonder, like, are we going to see more kids kind of be inspired by Shohei and try to be two-way players? Is it going to be more common? Maybe not to the caliber that Shohei Otani can do it so elitely. Like, I don't know if there's a lot of people that come around and can throw 100 and then can hit, like, 400 feet bombs or whatever. Like, that's pretty incredible to do. But I do wonder if, like, a two-way player is going to become a little bit more common, um, you know, in baseball. Not that every player is going to do it. It's just maybe we're going to see a few more of these players try and as teams evolve and teams understand, you know, bodies and stuff and know how to, like, handle players like that. The other thing, like, when Shohei Otani came around, it's like, 
teams didn't know mm-hmm. how to even handle that, right? Like, yep. how is he going to do both? Um, and so that's a learning curve that now more teams can observe what the Angels have done and think, okay, can we do this with one of our players if they ever come along? Yeah, I guess the only thing next for the Angels would be to figure out how to make a contender out of <laughs> two of the greatest players in baseball history on the same team at the same time. But I guess that's low-hanging fruit for, for those two teams. Yes, I know. There yeah. was plenty of jokes yesterday <laughs> on social media about how uh, that's the most important game that Mike Trout and uh, Shohei Otani will play this year. It's, it's all downhill. <laughs> yeah, it's just gonna, it's gonna be a different kind of uh, reaction for those two going back to spring training. Not that there's not, you know, hope eternal springs at every spring training, and you think that you can be a contender. But yeah, it's got to feel like a, a bit of a come down for both of those. Were you surprised? Because this is the last one on the on the WBC. Were you surprised how many guys were, who were asked about it put it as? a top baseball moment for them almost ahead of what a world series would mean, because that, that struck me a lot in the importance of this tournament, given how we've talked about in this conversation that, you know, it hasn't been around as for as long. It comes on a hiatus for a little bit there, but so there was a lot of guys that surprised me that said, Hey, this is like a career baseball moment for me. If we were to win a WBC championship, that's akin or higher to a world series for me. Yeah, I, I mean, it is kind of um, maybe a little bit jarring or surprising to hear that um, from some baseball players. I mean, well, one, a lot of them haven't been to the World Series, so for them, this might be the pinnacle so far. I'm sure if they eventually get to the World Series, they might say this is, you know, 1A and 1B in terms of moments in my career. Um, but the other thing I think about is, you know, how meaningful, you know, competing at the Olympics is for guys like from the NHL. I mean, I know they haven't been to the Olympics in a while, and there was a lot of players upset that they weren't going to the Olympics. Like it means a lot to play for their countries, um, especially, you know, countries that love that sport. So for Canadian NHL players, obviously it's a huge honor to go play for Canada in the Olympics and, you know, for, uh, you know, countless other um, players from different nationalities. And it's the same in baseball. Like it's uh, the WBC is, I saw someone, I can't remember who said it, but um, the WBC is their Olympics, right? Like they mm-hmm. don't really, I know baseball is in the Olympics, but it's not for um, professionals. So yeah. that is their that is their Olympics. That is their opportunity to be, you know, at the top of the world stage in their sport. And so, uh, it you know, it is kind of I guess because they're relatively um, newness still of the WBC. It obviously does not have the history of the Olympics games, um, but. You know, for for baseball, that's what they have. And so it does mean a lot, especially for a lot of those um, countries, you know, outside of North America. It means a lot to the U.S. players and the Canadian players uh, as well. But, you know, for some of those smaller Caribbean nations, you know, for uh, some of the South uh, American nations, you know, you saw how meaningful it was. And obviously the Asian countries, like which Japan, obviously it meant yeah. so much to them. Look how excited they were um, yesterday after winning it. And so, yeah, it, it is basically the equivalent of, you know, the, number one competition you can have uh, for your for your na- national team. So I, I understand why it means a lot to them. Uh, back to, uh, you know, the, the day-to-day grind of spring training here. We're just over a week from the Blue Jays kicking off their season uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals. They're in action this afternoon against the Baltimore Orioles. And I, I guess a quiet spring training isn't always the worst thing, Caitlin. There hasn't been a lot of major storylines for this team. Not that there was a lot going in, how would you characterize what we've seen from spring training for the Blue Jays so far? Yeah, I mean, like, quiet means that there's been no, you know, massive injuries for the most part. I think that's the the main thing with spring is, like, no news is usually good news for teams. Um, 
And so that's been the case for the Blue Jays. Like you said, there's not really been any huge storylines. There wasn't huge storylines coming into camp in terms of like the roster was mostly set. We kind of knew who the rotation would be. We knew who the bullpen was going to be. You know, there's a couple of jobs at the end of the roster, maybe that are some guys are competing for, but there's nothing really like major in terms of the roster front. And so I think for the Jays, I think the good thing has been, yeah, they look like they're going to get out of it unscathed. Obviously there's still like a week or so or less than a week to go, but um, you know, everyone stayed healthy. There hasn't been any sort of major injuries to worry about. Everybody who's there has looked good. Um, Not that you're going to put too much stock into spring training numbers anyway. And so they just look like they're rounding uh, to get ready for the season. And everybody looks like they're, you know, just about ready to go. Uh, your latest at the Athletic was taking a look at the pitching depth in the organization for the Blue Jays and who might have a, a big impact come season long. Uh, you know, moments when n- undoubtedly injuries and different things get called upon from these pitching staffs. And I would encourage everyone to go read the entire article. But the guy I wanted to focus on one that you talked about there is Jose Barrios, and I'm curious from your perspective, Caitlin how important he is when you start to look at this Blue Jays team and and what they want to do this season and how important it'll be for him to get back to the guy the Jays acquired not too long ago. I think he might be one of the most important players. I mean, I think that like the success of the rotation is more so going to hinge on Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman. Like if those are your two, like one, a one B aces, like they're going to propel the team forward in terms of the pitching front. But I do think like Jose Barrios is that like bit of an X factor difference maker in the sense of if he's giving you like a three and a half ERA, like what he was sort of capable of when he came over from Minnesota, like that's a really solid number. You know, what do you want to say? He's three or four with Chris Bassett, maybe interchange those two. That's a, yeah, that's a huge difference for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if, if he's the guy that is who he was last year, where it's not so much that, you know, that he was, um, you know, terrible every single start. It was just that, like, you kind of never knew which version you were going to get of him. And then you would have three or four starts in a row where he was looking fine. And then there would be one where he just, you know, couldn't get out of the first inning. Um, and that's what was really tough about his year. I think it was just sort of the inconsistency and unpredictability of what you were going to get out of him. And so if he can be the guy where you just kind of know what you're going to get, that just makes everything a lot easier. It it means the bullpen knows what they're going to do on his start days. They're not going to have to be ready to go into this second inning, right? Like it just makes the team, it just makes, it it has a trickle down effect. Basically it impacts the entire team. You know, they're not in a hole uh, to start the first inning. And then the, you know, the offense doesn't have to score six runs just to come back. Like it has a trickle down effect. And so I think if he's the guy that they know he can be, that they traded for a couple of years ago and that they signed to a pretty massive deal, I think they're going to be in a good spot. Does it help a guy in your mind, Caitlin, looking at Jose Barrios and thinking that Alec Manoa has sort of come up over the last couple of years to be such a prominent member of the rotation and maybe some of that pressure that was expected of Jose when he was initially acquired is kind of quelled because, let's be honest, Alec Manoa has turned into a a front-of-the-rotation type player and maybe quicker than a lot of us expected he would. Yeah, I think so. And I think that I've also said not just Manoa, obviously kind of transforming into, um, like I said earlier, basically a co-ace of this team, Mm -hmm. along with Kevin Gosman, who was kind of signed to be probably the leader of the rotation, at least for the first couple of years of his deal. Um, But also a guy like Chris Bassett, like I said, he comes in, he's, he's known for his um, kind of reliability. He's, you know, expected to make 30 starts. He's, 
been able to handle that. He's been actually one of the most consistent starters overall for the last number of years, both in Oakland and then um, obviously last year with the Mets. And so I think even having a guy like that that can so easily fit into a number three spot even, that maybe that takes even more pressure off for you. Like you don't have to be the number one, but two, or maybe even number three on this team. You just got to make your starts every five days and give the team a chance to win. Like this, you know, nothing sort of hinges on you. You don't have to lead the way or anything like that. And so I think just make like lifting the floor or however we want to put it of the rotation with a guy like Chris Bassett probably does ease the pressure off Barrios. And then, yeah, having Gosman and Manoa lead the way also takes some of that pressure off as, as well. Because remember last year, like he was the opening day starter. There was a yeah. lot of pressure on him coming into that season, obviously signing the big deal as well. So, yeah, I would I would, you know, I don't know this for sure, and it's hard to get these sorts of answers out of players because, you know, they n- don't really want to get into that kind of stuff. But I do get the sense that Brios was having a bit of an issue with some confidence last year, and it, it's hard to imagine some of that sort of external pressure not having a role in that. I know you sat down with Kevin Kiermeyer for a piece earlier on in spring training, but I'm curious how you've seen him and another veteran in Brandon Belt sort of integrate into this Blue Jays team as guys that have long storied MLB careers to their own, but are trying to be a big piece of, of a young team here in Toronto that has really high expectations this season. Yeah. I mean, they're both very friendly um, veteran guys that have just been around a long time. And so, I mean, especially with Kiermaier, obviously he wasn't on the Blue Jays before he was with Rays for whatever it was, eight years or yeah. so. Um, and so even though he's not on their team, he's so you're so familiar with a division guy, right? You see him all the time. Um, and I know with Kevin Kiermaier, he was sort of lucky enough that he obviously lives in the Tampa area. And so he was able to, right when he signed with the Blue Jays, be able to go to their facility in Dunedin and start to get to know the guys basically in January on. So he's had a lot of time to sort of get to know people. And obviously there was some familiarity with being in the ALE Sorati and Brandon Belt. I mean, obviously he came over from the Giants. You don't see very often in Toronto. Um, and, you know, he only arrived in camp sort of right when he needed to be there. And, but he's a really friendly, like easygoing guy. And so I think it's, uh, I think it's been a smooth uh, transition for him as well. And, you know, these guys have been about baseball. Like they know how to, they know how to get along with teammates. Like it's what they do. Right. So yes. I think it's, um, it's definitely been a smooth transition and I think they will be, you know, big pieces of this club. Uh, last one for you, Kim, before we let you go, really appreciate the time today. Um, when you look at this Jays team over the last week or so here, is there anything that stood out to you as, uh, you know, surprising for spring training, anything that's caught you off guard or has it just sort of been like we've talked about that sort of good, easy approach to spring training, I guess, has anything caught you off guard or anything surprised you about what's been, you know, a couple of weeks now into spring training for the Blue Jays? No, I mean, nothing's totally surprising. I guess I would just say like it's, um, it's been good to see all those performances more or less be consistent. Like not that you're necessarily, again, going to put huge amount of um, stock into spring training numbers, but for the most part, guys have looked very comfortable. Like a guy like Boba Shedd looked great. It looks like he's, you know, kind of continued off where he ended last season um, on a complete tear. He's looked great. Um, Kikuchi, I think has looked um probably um really good as well and in, in terms of i'm thinking of like maybe guys that not have surprised me necessarily but guys that have i guess taken the opportunity this spring and just built upon it and he's looked um like he's basically safely earned that fifth starter spot um and you know he'll be he'll be another guy this year to watch um 
I think obviously we all know he didn't have the season he wanted to have last year and lost his rotation spot down the stretch. And so, you know, he's taken the opportunity to earn it back. He looked really good this spring. He, uh, you know, the team's been happy with his performance. Um, and he looks like he's more at ease. Um, he looks more comfortable. And I think that's a really good thing. So I think my biggest takeaway about spring this year has just been like, everybody looks comfortable. Like everybody kind of looks confident and cool and calm and collected. They're just going about their business, doing their job. And I think that that's a, you know, good place to be a week away from the season. Absolutely. Caitlin, thanks so much for the time today. Really do appreciate it. Uh, I know there's still a couple games left in spring training, so enjoy them. And uh, we'll chat with you again once the regular season kicks off, eh? Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Caitlin McGrath joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar. Guest hotline this afternoon, Steph Ryder for The Athletic, covering mostly the Toronto Blue Jays, but baseball in general. Uh, lots to get to there with the WBC last night. And, of course, Blue Jays. In action this afternoon against the Baltimore Orioles, just a handful of games still to go for this team before opening night in St. Louis on March 30th. We are just over a week away from regular season baseball. And after last night's uh, performance between Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, uh, how could you not be excited about baseball getting going once again? Of course, you're home for the Blue Jays here in Calgary. Uh, Sportsnet 960, the event will bring you as much Blue Jays content uh, as we can over the summer months. And uh, yeah, good news, Taylor, for the Blue Jays. No injuries, no craziness out of spring training. And that's kind of, it's it's boring. Like it's not, like, like I said to Caitlin, there's not really a ton to talk about. But if you're the if you're John Schneider, you're probably pretty happy about that right now. I'm Like Caitlin said, no news is good news. Like you don't want anybody to be injured. I know Vladdy had like, a week where he was not at his best with mm-hmm. his knee injury, but now he's back and he's great. And it's, it's what you want in spring training. You don't want somebody to, you know, tear their ACL and be out all season or something like that. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things where it happens in every sport, right? Hockey has it. Football certainly has it where, you know, you're ramping up and I know baseball does it in a, in a different way because they play so many games and guys from, Triple A all the way to single A are getting action. But yeah, it's just one of those times where you're kind of crossing your fingers that you can get to night one and everybody's available to you and you can actually play out your roster how you'd hope from day one. And as of right now, there's still a week to go, but the Jays are in a very good spot to do that. And uh, last night was so much fun with the WBC. And um, like I honestly, my buddy was texting me in a group chat and he said, if somebody, if Shohei Otani's agent said to you in free agency, actually, it's not five hundred million; it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you six hundred million to sign Shohei Otani. I don't know that a team would say no. You the can't guy say is no incredible, and he's so easy to cheer for. Right, last night he lets all of his teammates, all of the trainers and coaches go and get their medals before him. Um, he just—I loved the passion for it. The fact that it was him versus Mike Trout was storybook stuff, like straight out of a Hollywood movie. And the only thing that sucks, and I mentioned it with Caitlin there, and yes, it's a bit of a shot of the Angels, but put these guys, like for Mike Trout, it might be too late, but for Shohei Otani, I'd love to see him go somewhere and be a prominent figure in the MLB and not be stuck. I'd love to see, show me Shohei Otani in the playoffs because clearly the big moment doesn't scare this guy. He's that good. How awesome would it be to see him go somewhere next year after free agency and be in a major MLB market and be even bigger of a superstar? 
I mean, I hate to bring up this team, but it's kind of like McDavid and Dreisaitl with the Oilers, where they're not really going anywhere with these two. They have these two amazing superstars, and they're just not really doing anything. Yeah, that's a fair point, right? That's actually that's a good one. And now, of course, Oilers fans would say, hey, they've been to the playoffs. They've been a little further than the Angels. But right, you're right. If you feel that way, you know, if you're a Los Angeles Angels fan, you're sitting here thinking, man, we're not even going to we're not going to have one world series appearance with two of the best players to ever play the game on the same team at the same time. And that's before Otani gets this massive contract, right? He's getting, he's getting a good amount of money right now being a guy coming over from Japan, but it's not the extension he's going to get next. And if you're Shohei, maybe you do love LA, but I don't know why you would stay there. Yeah. Like I just, for a winning purpose from everything that you've seen there, I'm sure it's good living in California. Maybe he stays in California with another team. But if I was Shohei Otani, I can only imagine what that next contract looks like and how much fun it would be to see him somewhere else other than the Angels. So we'll see what that looks like. There's a lot of fun last night at the World Baseball Classic. Thanks to uh, to Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic for joining us uh, to end off Hour 1. We'll come back on the other side. We'll dive more into the Calgary Flames situation. They pick up an important two points last night against the Anaheim Ducks. They needed them based on how the out-of-town scoreboard went. We'll chat more NHL, more Flames next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.